Welcome to Propel, a podcast by Fellowship Pacific to propel you and your ministry forward in the mission God has for you. I'm your host, Jessica Powell, and in today's episode, you'll get to listen in as Dan Cody from our Church Management Solutions team talks with Scott Bailey, Executive Director of Camp Quanos. They talk about all the many changes that have been required of them this year because of COVID and how staying focused on their mission, loving kids to life, has enabled them to change their methods as needed in order to continue doing what God has called them to do. So let's get to it. Here's Dan's conversation with Scott Bailey. Well, welcome everybody to our Propel Fellowship podcast. I'm Dan Cody. I'm the team leader here of the Church Management Solutions Squad here at Fellowship Pacific. And I'm so glad that I'm on here today with Scott Bailey. He is the executive director at Camp Quanos on Vancouver Island in beautiful British Columbia and has been in that and other roles at the camp for many years. Most listeners know you, Scott, and they know the camp, but let's take a moment for you to just kind of describe all that Camp Quanos is and what your role is there. But I want you to pretend that you're talking to someone who doesn't really know hardly anything about it, even though most of our listeners do. Tell us why you love that camp and what you do there. Well, great to be here with you, Dan. Um, Hope you have some fun here talking uh, together. Appreciate being able to to share with you here. So why am I at camp? Um, Well, first of all, I guess it goes back to at the uh, many years ago when my dad first brought me to camp. And so I think it's important if people don't know my dad, who's Ken Bailey, he uh, was involved at Qantas right at the beginning. And I'll never forget the first time I came to camp. I was five years old. So back then there was no year on staff at Camp Qantas. So my dad is a school teacher. School ended and it probably was the next day. He packed us all up, put us in the green cortina. And I remember how excited he was to bring us uh, to camp. He hadn't been there for a number of years because he was there when the camp started. Then he, I went to Williams Lake to finish his teaching degree. And so now he was coming back to camp, bringing all of us. And so we were so excited. I remember coming into camp and I remember he told us that there was this new building that had just been made, which is now the lodge. We call it Sky Ridge Lodge. And I actually remember coming into the camp because he was so excited to bring us there. And we would be there for the entire summer. And I I just loved it. That happened a few years in a row. And uh, then eventually the camp had someone come and a first full-time staff member. My dad was there to be a superintendent over the whole summer because volunteers would come every week. That's where it started. And and I remember experiencing great things there myself, even as a young guy. I remember looking up to the staff. Uh, I remember knowing that this is a very special place for God. I was at work. So of course I wanted to be a camper. So I remember being a camper when I was nine and I was a camper all the way through nine to 18. There was no CIT program back then in those old ancient days there, Dan, but I remember serving on staff at 16, uh, working with guys like Ken Dosso, who was the youth leader at Central Baptist at the time. And, and people that just, um, you know, I knew just loved God. And I, I remember just learning so much from all these guys, Pastor Ian Bowie. I remember he was one of my speakers and, and uh, loved, uh, he was one of my favorites. And there was a combo called Howie and Bowie, How, uh, Gord Howarth was at Central Baptist. And all the stories and all the crazy things that happened. And, and, and God was at work in my life. I remember a conversation that I had with a counselor when I was in junior high in a cabin. I can even picture 
uh, where I was at the time at night, all the other guys had fallen asleep. And, and I remember having, you know, quite a conversation with this person. I had a lot of friends that were non-Christians at school. I would play basketball and, and just how to live out your faith, you know, uh, in the situation that I was in. And, and, and so I, I remember making a decision at camp. I remember a speaker saying, you know, you can't be on a fence. You have to either be um, all for God or, or you're on a fence. And, and, you know, I remember that talk and I remember making a decision of myself personally that I didn't want to be on the fence. You know, I wanted to be all in. Mm-hmm. And, and so it was just, it just seemed natural to, you know, I just wanted to work at camp when I was 16 and, and then 17, 18. And uh, I went off to SFU at the time and, and I had this idea that I wanted to have my own company uh, one day and, and uh, interesting though, when I was at SFU in the second year, maybe the third year, I would take courses and I remember thinking, oh, this could be applied at camp. And so I, I would you know, apply this project at camp, make it a camp project. And I remember one, uh, pro- one a business systems course, it was about computers and I just discovered the Mac at the time. And, and I remember uh, we had to develop a software based system and and we used camp as a project. I was in the co-op program and I, I got SFU to agree to have my last term at uh, Camp Quantos. I'd already worked at IBM Canada, downtown Vancouver. I'd worked at Transport Canada, downtown Vancouver. I'd worked at Revenue Canada. And the last term, I got it to be Camp Quantos. And uh, the, the camp board agreed to this and it was really great. And we did a, a big project where we went around to talk to churches and we tried to gather information to plan the future. And, and um, I felt called to stay on at camp after that term, finished in 89 at SFU, stayed on for a year as a volunteer. And so I know what it's like to be a volunteer and start going into debt. And then I realized, I don't think I can keep going this way and back to the board. And, and um, they decided to make it a role. And, and so they created this role called assistant director. And that's a long story of how it happened. But all through there was knowing that camp is a place where people find God, you know, that God became real to me at camp. And I'd seen that happen every year, every week. And I really wanted to be a part of that. I couldn't picture, you know, any other place that, that God was calling me to where there was that much impact all the time. So. So you have been around there for a long time, Scott, that's an amazing history. Thank you. How long those years, they go by fast, Dan. And how many years have you been in the executive director role, Scott? So when I started in, in 89, my, I never had a dream of being the overall director. Uh, my thought was that I, I wanted to help. I wanted to help. And so my dad had been a school teacher. He had just recently uh, took a one-year leave of absence to be the uh, general director at Quantos. And that's about the time I came on to help as well. After the year, he didn't go back to school. And so he stayed on. Yeah, I was going to say, how's that one-year absence going for your dad? A long one-year absence. <laughs> and um, I just, like I say, I just wanted to help. I wanted to assist. I had no, I had no, I had no thought about being the director one day. And, and so I did that for about 10 years. And then it just seemed like it was, I was supposed to be the director. It just felt like I'm supposed to do, um, have, a, have a role change. And, of course, I can't just decide that. My dad can't just decide that. So that was all board. Uh, had to figure that all out, but my dad felt that he should focus in on on the public relations aspect, and so, so that was in '99, and and working with the board, and 
and they said, yeah, we're going to make this change. And so I became the executive director in 99 and he became the director of public relations. I cannot believe how many years ago that is. Yeah, I can't believe that's that's been over 20 years in that role. That's hard to believe. So yes. congratulations on that new role, Scott. I hope it works out for you. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Go figuring it out. Yeah. And much appreciation to your dad and the other members of your family for their part in the history of the camp. It's just uh, we give great thanks to God for for the role that you the roles that you have all so willingly played there in the camp over the years. That is for sure. Scott, uh, we're um, calling at this end from Fellowship Pacific, and uh, we have a statement that I want to just interact with you about, and that's our vision statement. And our vision statement is that uh, our vision is to innovatively develop relationships and resources that propel every Fellowship Pacific Church to be accountable to their gospel mandate. And of course, that we don't work just with churches. We have, uh, in addition to your camp, we have another camp and other agencies that we partner with in order to propel forward God's gospel uh, throughout uh, British Columbia and the Yukon and in other places too. Scott, we highly value our relationship with Camp Kwanos. And I know you highly value the relationships you have with each and every church and with many other partnering groups. Can you tell us just a little bit about what relationships are meaning in, in your life and in the life of the camp, uh, especially during these challenging times? Highlight something about relationships for us. Well, it's really the heart of everything. Uh, first of all, I'll just tell you that, you know, I grew up at a fellowship church. I grew up at South Delta Baptist. Uh, I became a Christian when I was five years old uh, at South Delta Baptist back in the old building uh, before it moved to where it is now. And, um, you know, I was involved in youth ministry there and, and with all the other churches, they would all get together through the lower mainland. And, and so I've, I've experienced the benefits of being, of having churches together in partnership. I personally experienced that. And, you know, I've seen that all around in all my years growing up. And so when I became uh, involved at Quanos, it was never a question that we're on our own, that we always knew that it, it's just, it's just a given that we're part of our churches. And so, so that's how I've always sought to operate. You know, I feel like I'm on staff at Maple Ridge Baptist, South Delta Baptist, you know, Central Baptist. I just, they just don't see me a lot. You know, I'm in, I'm in their distant office, you know, further away. And th this is the heart of camp. It's the way that camp was formed at the beginning. Uh, sometimes people may think, oh, we have lots of staff at camp. And so we don't need the church. That, that doesn't even make any sense to me because we can't even operate unless it's in, in partnership. Um, there's so many things I could share. Uh, I may even share a couple of quick examples from this past summer. I, here, here's one uh, thought I had um, just from this past summer. Because um, you, you may ask me what how the summer went, but, but here, let's just jump in a little bit here. Is just before the summer, we were told that, that Bonnie Henry's office said that you have to be 19 or up to be able to sleep overnight at camp. This came out of the blue. This would cut off so many of our staff. We were going to do day camps. And, and then our LIT program, they're all under 19. Yeah. And, and so we were, oh, how is this going to work? And so we decided we're going to find Christian families that can be host families locally. And we'll, 
you know, take them there at 10 at night, bring them back in the morning. And we were just ready to start that. And then they changed. We, we kind of communicated our thoughts in a kind way. And other camps did. And Bonnie Henry's office changed. And just before the summer started, they said you could be 16 and up. A whole bunch of LITs, that's leader in training, all of a sudden said, I'm in, I'm coming. There was about 10 that came in about a week, week or two before summer started. And through the summer, it was really clear like, wow, like our LITs, they are playing a significant role here. They're counseling, they're leading activities and helping and support staff. We're hearing them share every night, every day, like in our staff meetings, we meet in the evening. God was at work through LITs. And it just seemed like, wow, like they're, they're just seem to be at a, they're always at a, you know, God works with them always, but it seems like it was something special this summer. And, and I don't know why it didn't click for me. It was the end of the summer, looking back, all of a sudden, the light bulb went off and I realized, of course, that makes sense because it's only been recently that we just started this year round high school program, which was only made possible through the ministry center, the fellowship, uh, Kristen and, and team working with Baptist foundation, Baptist housing, who's who together ministry center and Baptist housing is covering 75% of the cost to, for us to be able to do this brand new year round high school leadership program where we come alongside the, the students that are in our summer leadership programs. And so we had already been working with them through the whole year. So I don't know why I didn't realize this till the end of the summer, but all of a sudden I realized, of course, we've just been working with them for a whole year with over three leaders, three and a half full-time staff coming alongside them through the year. And it showed. It, it, it showed, it showed itself right from the beginning of the summer. That's an example of, of just that, that where it wouldn't even have been possible without partnership uh, together. I'm going to share all kinds of examples from the summer as well, but that's just an example right there. Or even just recently after the summer, uh, we did our uh, Island Youth Workers Conference. And of course, we couldn't meet in person. We decided to do it a virtual uh, Island Youth Workers Conference. We had about 175 youth workers primarily from the island, but yeah. some mainlanders and, and others that were part of it. And, and the ministry center, Fellows for Pacific, has been a key partner with that for years. Krista sometimes speaks at it. Others come and, and speak at it. There's a financial uh, component that the uh, ministry center has in it. And, uh, you know, to make it possible that we can have uh, impact with all these different youth workers and all these different churches. It just goes on and on, um, you know, at our year round staff retreat uh, back in, in January, first week, second week in January, when we bring all our staff together to set vision for the year. And and uh, Paul Parks, Pastor Paul from South Delta came and was our speaker at our year round staff retreat. And, and what he shared, it, it was foundational for us. I would go back to it all the way through, especially after COVID hit. And we were able to look back and go, wow, how did Pastor Paul know? Because yeah, the things he shared were just what we needed to, to hear without knowing what was going to come in March. We had Pastor Paul come and, and share with us on a Zoom call in the middle of the summer. Uh, we had a special time where we were just kind of focusing together our staff and, and then put Paul up on the Zoom and he gave this great talk uh, to all of us. And just, it just goes on and on. Do you want me to give more examples, Dan? Because no, I because could... we have time to touch on more. But uh, you know, you're you're fleshing out our very vision statement. You know, you are innovatively developing relationships and resources that propel every Fellowship Pacific Church and camp 
and agency to be accountable to their gospel mandate. And we agree there's nothing more important than letting the world know the good news of the gospel. Uh, yeah. And through relationships and resources like you have just described. Scott, and what we want to... Together, that, that's it right there. And especially, you know, you see this even more when something like COVID comes. Yes, exactly. And that's what we want to talk about. We, were, we would be in trouble. That's our very topic, really, that we want to focus on for a few minutes, Scott, is, is 2020 the realities of the COVID-19 crisis, the restrictions that have been placed on ministries, uh, any, any uh, kind of organization that involves, you know, coming together and doing face-to-face -face ministry has been profoundly affected by many restrictions, but as 2020 was approaching, you, uh, it seems, after talking to you a few times and, uh, and talking to others, I know that you did not simply um, decide to shut things down at the camp, far from it, as you've already mentioned a little bit, but we want to hear more. Um, what happened as, as the summer was beginning to approach, and you already knew that other camps were, for example, just going to pretty much close up their operations and, and then uh, wait it out. Uh, how was it that you, as the leadership of the camp, were able to address the reality of this crisis, but not uh, out of fear, but to face it and to decide to do all the ministry that you would be allowed to do this summer? Well, I think, well, I'm hoping that it was God guiding us because that's what we were constantly trying to figure out was God, what is the way that you have for us? Knowing that we could trust whatever way that is. And so, so that's what we were constantly seeking, you know, especially with our theme of light it up. And maybe I'll talk about that later, but you know, that's a theme we came up with in January and this idea of God showing the way and just shining a light. And so we were constantly going, God, what would you have us do? Mm -hmm. uh, and really from the beginning, I couldn't even imagine that we weren't going to have kids at camp. I just, couldn't, I couldn't even fathom that thought. Uh, we were on pace to have our largest summer ever. We were expecting to welcome 4,500 kids. It was an extra week long summer, 10 weeks. We'd added another junior high camp because we turned away 600 junior highs the year before. We were going to have 420 more. In mid-March, it seemed like we were on track. And, and then everything stalled, of course. Um, and... I'm sure everybody remembers the day. For me, it was March 12th. It was my son Devin's 20th birthday. We took him to Red Robins in Victoria. We'd sat down, we made our order, and up on the TV screen, it said NHL was postponed. And you know, everything, that was the marker point for me. You know, everything changed. We were away for one more week. We came back after we were on a spring break, came back on that Monday. We formed our COVID response team, three of us. We started meeting all day. In the middle of the meeting, I got a knock on the door that the, the uh, gathering size changed from 250 to 50. You know, we, okay, I guess that means juniors retreat is off, which was coming up and it all changed. And at right from that point, our thought was we are going to do all we can to prepare for overnight camps because we didn't want to come to June and find that we could do them and then not be ready. Yeah. So our intent was going to be to be ready all the way through um, part way in when it started to look like maybe that's not going to work part way in, we decided, okay, we're going to become a licensed childcare facility because we were, we were researching how do you become an essential service? And if you're a licensed childcare facility, you would be an essential service. You could look after kids. Mm -hmm. 
problem. So we had two key staff or two head counselors, and that was their mission. We started reading the act and figuring it out and, and um, measuring the size of everything, counting toilets and everything, because we knew we could have kids at that point. And, and then, of course, there's the thought. Some said, well, you know, what if COVID comes? And you know, the reputation of the camp is going to be affected. You know, you're going to have COVID there. And, and, you know, I thought about it and I thought, well, there's so many people that actually do have children and youth that they want them to go somewhere and they're looking for people to help them. And, and to me, it just didn't seem right that we would just hunker down and, and let non-Christians do all that. Why wouldn't we do that? Mm-hmm. Why, why couldn't we be part of the solution? And my thought was that, you know, if, if we seek to meet the guidelines and we, we do it responsibly and with our best effort, I thought, well, God will look after our reputation if there's COVID. Mm-hmm. If, if the COVID came and we did all our part, people would understand. And, and I thought that can't be a fear for us. We, we can't, if we're allowed to do it and, and, and it's accepted and people, we do it properly. And so that was our approach. And, and the key question for us all the way through was, how do we live out our mission now? And, and if you know Camp Quantos, you know our mission is in four words. It's loving kids to life. So that, that's the heart of everything. That's the short version of our, of our mission statement. And so, you know, usually we love kids to life through everything that happens in an overnight camp, overnight retreat. But that's not... That's not what we're all about. We're all about loving kids to life. We do it through overnight camps. And so, so we need to figure out, well, how do we do our mission when you can't do overnight camps? So we had to figure that out. The other thing we really wrestled with is what does stewardship look like for, what does, what does stewardship look like for us now? Mm-hmm. This facility, the people, the potential, all the people that want to come, how are we good stewards now so we wrestled with that a lot and and then uh overnight camps were canceled at the end of may which was a horrible day you know when that happened and couldn't even imagine not having 4500 kids 60 percent of those don't go to the church and you know i couldn't even fathom that and uh, we, i don't know if you saw it but we sent out this video we did it to a narnia song it was like a uh it, it, the video is called no need to say goodbye and it was like a message of hope uh, that we sent out and and then about a week after, we heard that we could do day camps. So we shelved all the licensed childcare facility plans. And Dan, it, yeah. it was early June, and we had zero registered for camp. And um, it just, so you asked me how we did it. It just, all I can say is it just felt like that's what we're supposed to do. And you can't, you can't be in fear when you're on the path God wants you to be on, and he's lighting the way for you. Then he's going to make the way. I don't have to worry about the way. He's, he's going to make the way. He's the way maker. Uh, yeah. During that year on staff retreat, uh, the, the, the person we had do music uh, played Waymaker. First time I heard that song. And as soon as I heard that song, I knew this is an awesome song. So Russ, we got to have that song at staff training. This has got to be our song. And I didn't realize, you know, the fullness of why Waymaker was, was the song, especially matched with our Light It Up theme. Like that Jesus will make a way. And so constantly we were looking to God, what is the way we trust you in it? Thank you for describing uh, that uh, 
the transition of that story from one stage to the next and adjusting as you went and all the while saying we're not going to compromise uh, what the law says or what the regulations tell us, but we're going to do everything that we can within those. So tell me, Scott, what were you able to accomplish specifically in the summer of 2020? I mean, it was a, it's been a, a blur in some ways from March 12th onward, constantly changing, adapting, figuring things out. We'd always have different meetings, COVID plans, and our CLEO program had to be ended early. Uh, you know, just so many things happened. We, but as I said, we we're on, wanting to do all we could to be ready to run overnight camps. And so that included having advanced crew staff come. And so that usually happens the end of April, a whole bunch of advanced crew staff came. You know, we would have different, we had a big Zoom meeting with staff beforehand to, cause they're wondering, you know, can I come to camp? Is there gonna be a role for me there? And we said, hang in there with us. And, um, you know, most of them came. People, everybody responds differently when there's uncertainty. So it's been interesting to see how people respond. You know, what does, it's just, it was very interesting, but most came about 10 days in to advance crew, maybe even a week, we realized it's, it looks like it's not gonna be over in a camps. We're not gonna be able to afford this financially. Our summer staff budget is over 400,000. And we called everybody into Club Coco for a special meeting. We talked to some key leaders ahead of time to talk to them about what we were gonna do. And we laid off all our summer staff in a meeting. Five seconds after we laid them off, I said, but we want you to stay. Would you consider being a volunteer? We, we need you all to stay. God has a plan here. We need every one of you. And um, that was a key part of it. And, and within about half an hour, almost all of them had decided to stay, but there were some that didn't. There were some that felt that wasn't the right spot, but most of them stayed. Some were pretty excited that they could go on serve, I must say. And, um, you know, many were able to go on serve, most people. And so financially they were looked after, but they didn't have to stay at Camp Quantum's. They could have been on serve and gone home uh, but most of them stayed at camp which is so awesome we had such a great group of, of staff um and and we we're still preparing in total uncertainty you know and then all of a sudden like i say we were told 19 and up so we had some staff that had been working for months and they're 18 they're going well what can i stay all this uncertainty even two weeks before day camp you know we didn't have enough staff then all of a sudden these LITs came. We had the exact number of staff in the first week. We were told that we could run day camps for groups of 10, as long as, and you could have multiple groups of 10, as long as that you met all the guidelines. And so we decided we're gonna go for 10 groups of 10. We figured out a, a plan where we could run two Q towns in the morning, uh, rotate, and then we, we drew up a, a brand new plan to run day camps at camp. They came together in just those few weeks. Uh, in the first week, I will never forget, um, you know, we'd only had a couple of weeks to promote it. In Q-Town, the first group, we had three groups of 10. So picture Q-Town where normally there's like 650 and we had three groups of each group spaced out six feet, two liters per group. And Russ and the band, I mean, they played like that room was packed. You know, many of those people had never been to camp before. So they're sitting down, you know, listening to all this. But by the end, they were standing up. Uh, later that week, uh, we had a school group that had canceled. We lost all our guest groups in May and June. A school group said, could I come? Can we bring parents? I said, yeah, but we'll have to have a counselor in their group. No problem. Have a counselor in their group. We'll go to Q-Town. And so we had this school group with parents in Q-Town. And then we realized 
hey, we could do something different here. We could let some people come for one day. And so at first, we didn't want to do that. We never used to have people come for a day. You come for one week and only one one week. And so we just wanted to, to we had to listen, like, and see how people were resp responding. And we had other groups come for one day, non-Christian groups. Uh, we had some people come back for two weeks. We allowed some to come back for three weeks if the third week was near the end. Uh, we had some groups come over from, like, Ladner Baptist came over a couple of times for a week. And then we just went. We just started and went. And we had no idea how many were going to come down. I mean, that first Q-Town, there's three groups of 10. The second Q-Town, I think we had, maybe it was two or three in Q-Town. Um, and then on Saturdays, we would do different ministry things, or sometimes we'd send in a bunch of people to Duncan, and never before had we had staff in Duncan wave flags on the island highway and banners and put posters up in subways and, you know, coffee shops uh, up and down. And we were promoting to fill the, 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 the weeks that were coming up. But I want to tell you that we, from the beginning, I never felt that we should just be about day camps. And so I talked about how we were going to do here and their ministries here. Well, we could, we could see that day camps, but thousands of kids would normally come who we even have a relationship with many because they came before, we can't just forget about them. So we wanted to do their ministries here and there and so in the evening we would have a staff meeting and we would do about an hour and a half of other ministry and on every other saturday we would do other ministries and and so that was a significant part of the summer as well i'll, I'll just give you some examples so we had a, one person formed a team and we created quantos mc quantos mc was we built camp quantos in minecraft it's it's a replica of the camp in minecraft and so at certain set times, people would join together and they would, they would be interacting with our staff. So picture at eight o'clock at night, maybe eight, nine, 10 staff up in Club Coco, all on their laptops and they're playing Minecraft with these group of campers. And it worked out great. On Tuesday night, we, would did, we did a Q-Town live stream. The Q-Town was for, I realized we're ministering to our staff. So the speaker now had an opportunity in the evening to speak to our staff just for them, but our CITs and stepouts couldn't come. They did that online. And so we, we live streamed that Q-Town for our staff, live stream it to stepouts and CITs. So they could, be, they could be in on it as well. On Thursday night, we did a Q-Town live stream at night. Campers leave, of course, at 5.30, but usually in the summer, you have two Q-Towns. So on Thursday night, we did an evening Q-Town for the day campers that weren't there. And so we did it just like a regular Q-Town. We'd live stream the whole thing with three cameras and, and they had a private link for their family. And so now we realized we can actually speak to the mom and dad on a Thursday night. So that was a brand new thing. We did a few live stream Q-Towns for the general public during the summer. So all past campers could be in on it. We were just always trying to think, well, what about the ones that couldn't come? I, I got to tell you one night, our maintenance staff came to me and they had this idea. Hey, Scott, I want to set up all the chairs in Q-Town just like we normally would. And I said, guys, that's, that's going to be a lot of work. So many chairs. And we want to do it. So, okay. So that night when you come into staff meeting at seven o'clock, normally we'd have about 95 to 100 chairs all spread out you know, six feet apart. Well, this night there's 650. People, people were pretty overwhelmed when they walked into the room and saw the same setup that we normally would do here in the summer. It's pretty emotional. Uh, for everybody and and so we use that as an opportunity to just to remind and then we spent a special focus time of prayer 
to pray for all the ones that couldn't come. And at different times during the summer, we would do that. Uh, almost every night there was a prayer team praying for people, or there would be a team that would be working on media things. We, we formed a, we started Quantos or Q4U, which is a new variety show. I don't know if you watch it, it's on our YouTube channel. Q4U is a way to connect with kids that couldn't come as well. So we were trying to think of the ones that weren't here and the ones that were here. That is uh, an amazing description of how you adapted um, with activities on-site, off-site, online, uh, in a variety of different uh, audiences. And one of the key things you didn't go into too much there, you've mentioned it a few times now, but you were able to continue to operate your leadership development programs in a adjusted uh, methodology for this unique summer, but uh, you can testify that that did happen and that Absolutely. And, you there know, was a big um, impact there. We sure had hope that they could come on site, you know, but when Bonnie Henry's office changed the age from 19 to 16 and said, okay, you can, you can be a staff at camp if you're 16 and up, but basically, she used the words that said, but absolutely don't even think about doing a leadership program on site. That's what she, basically she said. And that was early June. We had still been hoping that CIT could work on site. So, okay, our intent all the way through is to honor the spirit and the letter of the guidelines. So, okay, there's no question. We're not going to do that on site. But there's also no question that we're not moving forward with our leadership programs. It's too important. So we did step out all online. That's the entry-level program. CIT, we did it all online. We modified the program so that the same goals could be met, but just in a different way. And LIT, uh, when the age went down to 16, all the LITs could come to camp. And so we had about the same number of LITs than we normally would, and they were fully immersed in the whole program <coughs> as staff. Uh, one of the weeks they did extra training. And so all three programs uh, went full speed ahead. And I have to tell you, we're so glad we did it because so many great things happened. At CIT, we did something called IRL, stands for in real life. And so there was one day when we brought them to camp in real life, they come in the morning on the ferry and they loved it. They, they, they loved that. So all those programs went ahead and also the CLEO program, we weren't sure at first, is it, are we gonna be able to have the CLEO program happen in September? And uh, our thought was we're gonna do all we can to make sure that it can run. And so if it meant that we couldn't run retreats, you know, we can't give up in the CLEO program. And so we're very thankful that we were able to, to move forward with the CLEO program. We've created a learning group and there's 25 students, there's more students than we normally would have had. And um, we're, we're full steam ahead right now with the CLEO program. Fantastic. Scott, you mentioned theme. Every year you've got a different theme. I could probably name at least half off the top of my head, because my kids have them on their own t-shirts that they've been in those programs you're just describing. So tell us whether the theme lighted up, chosen for 2020 in advance of COVID actually played out. It's really unreal actually, Dan. Like I, I look back and go, God knew what he was doing. Like we always say, God direct us. What is it that kids need to hear? What should our foundation be for this entire year? Um, and I remember I was going over to to share about our theme at Southridge. I think it was late January, early February. And I remember uh, they wanted me to share with their mid-school class during a Sunday. And I remember being in the hotel room the night before and I had this talk all worked out and I put my head on the pillow and all of a sudden I went, no, that's not my talk. It's supposed to be another talk. 
I'm supposed to talk about Psalm 19, your word is a lamp to guide my feet. I'm like, what? Where did that come from? I'm going to have to get up now. No. Yes. I'm going to have to get up. And, and I wrote this talk out and it, it had everything to do with this time when I was walking home from camp, I go through the upper field, through the forest, and then I come out into my backyard through the, after the park. And I talk about this time I went and right in the middle of the forest, it was like 11 at night on a weekday at camp in the summer, and my flashlight goes out. And I'm in total darkness. You know, there's no moonlight or anything. And, and I just, th- this came to my mind that night. And ever since that night, I talked about this story. And then I talked about how God's word is the lamp to, our, to guide my feet and a light from my path. And it, it struck me as I was preparing for that class to think, oh, I, I just realized something. It's not just that his light is to show me the right path, which it is. But when that light is bright, I can see people that maybe have fallen off the path on either side that I need to reach and pull them up onto the path. Like, oh, I never thought about that before in that verse. And I started thinking about light in this whole different, different way. I, I realized I had been thinking in a selfish way about Psalm 119 before. That was just to guide me in my path. Well, my path had to include, I, I was on that path because there's other people that I needed to rescue and get onto the right path. And, and so all the way through, we were realizing, wow, like Paul talked to the year on staff retreat about light. And, and then this verse came to us. I think I was at, I um, can't remember if, I think I was at the meeting place uh, at a service and, and we were thinking about verses. And I read, that is the verse. And he, and Gary, the pastor there used the same verse. It's uh, John 12, 46. It's the most amazing verse. In this verse, this is where Jesus says that I've come as a light to shine in this dark world so that all who put their trust in me will no longer remain in the dark. And I know that I knew that verse, of course, but now I really knew this verse. This, this was the verse, like, because there's so much darkness in our world of all the years that we need light of all the years that we have to realize that if I put my trust in God, then I'm out of darkness. I'm in light. And that became the heart verse uh, for our, our summer. And, we just, it just, I couldn't even imagine having a different theme. So I look back and go, God, thank you uh, that you directed us uh, to that theme of lighted up of all the years. And with that verse, the song that Russ put together, you know, just an amazing song all about Jesus, the light of the world, inviting us to follow him. You, if, you, if you follow me, you don't have to walk in darkness, Jesus says. And I'm the light that leads to life. And so that's the heart of the camp you know, loving kids to light. People can still be a part of that. The calendar year hasn't run out. The camp is looking forward to 2021. You need your partners more than ever. Those that uh, have stood with you. I know that everybody, every leader that comes to camp has to have a certain number of prayer partners. Many of us have done that before. Um, what do you need as the 2020 year winds down? Uh, tell us where things are at and how we can all continue to pray for that. So, Dan, just just really, you know, in a quick way to describe this from mid-March onward, we lost all retreats. We lost all guest groups. We lost all overnight summer camps. Uh, basically, 75% of our budget was gone. Uh, we lost over $3 million of, of anticipated revenue to come. And our projection in, in uh, early April was that we'd have to raise 1.3 million, that that was the gap. 
at that point, we didn't know if we could do day camps. We didn't know what the wage subsidy was going to, if it was going to be extended. The gap was 1.3 million. And so we, we did a couple of fundraisers, one before the summer, one during the summer. We had a couple of auctions as, as well. Uh, you know, we're trying to maximize the government wage subsidy, the CEWS. Um, so I'm so thankful to be able to say that right now, we're, we've improved, God's improved the position by a million. The gap right now is still about 300,000 though. We've raised over 500,000. And with the money that came in from day camps, the money that came in from the wage subsidy, our need is still 300,000, uh, 300, which is still a huge need. God will provide. So we're looking for people to, to be a part of this. And those two fundraising drives we did, so many churches helped. Uh, there was people that stepped forward with saying, I'm going to match gifts that came in. And, you know, I remember when uh, Richard came down from Courtney, he brought a group down and he wanted to get a check in. He said, These, this was money. We were going to send kids overnight counts. We want to give it and want it to be matched. You know, the mean place did the same thing. Departure Bay did the same thing. Uh, right now, Central Baptist has had three Sundays uh, where they take up a Thanksgiving offering and they decided on their own. I didn't even ask them. Uh, Barton called me and said that they're going to do a special Thanksgiving offering to go towards the needs uh, of the camp, and which we're so thankful for. But this is a huge need right now is, is, is that remaining amount. And then, and then prayer for wisdom as we plan, because now it appears as though we may have to do day camps again in 2021. And that has huge implications for our structure, our budget to run a camp of 675 plus every week in the summer with over 200 staff. Um, you know, we need a core team through the year. So we normally carry a core team of 35 to 40 year round staff. Well, I mean, I think we all know we don't need that many staff when you're not even able to run retreats. We're not allowed to run overnight camps still. So we have to figure out how do we adapt our staff? Tomorrow we have a, a special board meeting where we're going to be talking more about it. And we talked in September, we have another meeting in November. You know, we're trying to figure out how do we adapt our staff? So, so prayer is a key that God would show us what's the way, what way are we supposed to be on, on now? And, and, you know, we're open to ideas and possibilities. Like we, as always, we're part of churches. So if churches thought, Oh, I wonder if I could do this or this, we, if, if this or this could, we could help with that. We want to be a part of it. We have a, this, big awesome place here at camp maybe it's a place that some groups can come and have space and be together and grow closer together uh, maybe there's there's new ways that churches can think of how they can use their camp in this time when we have so much opportunity because we can't run retreats scott if we want to keep up with these updates you're on social media your website what other uh avenues do we have to, to track along with the camp? Just give us the, the main media, reference the, points there. Social media, we're very active with all of that. So Instagram and Facebook and, and all of that, our YouTube channel. So there's so many things on there. That's going to be a key thing. We're going to try to find better ways to send out information to churches uh, as well. Um, so, you know, people can just contact me directly, Scott scottaquanos.ca. I mean, there's so many things I could say, uh, tell you down like i got to tell you one thing though like early in the summer and we were realizing there's people from nanaimo that wanted to come to camp and they you know how do i try my kids to camp every day from nanaimo back and forth and then departure bay baptist you know tim called us and so i wanted to do a bus i said tim we'd love to do a bus so we just don't have the money financially we we just can't and said we'll cover we'll, we'll take the risk if no kids come we'll cover the bus okay 
So I, I got our email list of camp, past campers from Nanaimo. I emailed them and said, "There's the church in your town wants to send kids in Nanaimo to Camp Kamanos to their camp. And in 24 hours, a bus filled. And then said, let's do another week. So they sponsored another bus for another week, and they filled. And meanwhile, we had staff here from Nanaimo, from Departure Bay Baptist, who was on the bus, coming with all these kids back and forth on the bus. Let's do another week. They did three weeks. Wow. Then the meeting place said, I'll do two weeks, wow. nine and 10 with a the bus. Then Saanich and Central said, I'll do a bus from Victoria. We had uh, kids come from Victoria. For we couldn't do this. We couldn't take the risk to have these buses. These churches came on board. It's so amazing to see how like people rallied around to encourage and to help, uh, to support. Um, just a quick, I don't know if we're out of time here. I got to tell you the story that when Gary uh, said to me after at the meeting place, he said that when he was approached by one of our staff, Tristan, about for two, for maybe two weeks, he thought, he said to us after, I thought, oh, I think I could do, I want to do two, but I don't know, financially, let's just do one. Within a couple of hours, he said, a person approached him and said, Gary, I just came into some extra money. I want to just check you. It was almost $9,000. And Gary realized, I should have said two buses. I'm calling up Campanos. We're doing two buses for two camps. And it's just to me an example of trust. When we step out to, tr to trust, step out in faith, God will always provide. And, and what happened there was one of our staff um, had just recently, um, she graduated grade 12. And she told us in the early part of the summer that her one of her high school teachers, I think as her science teacher, non-Christian, atheist, evolution, found out she's coming to camp and he called her silly. Why would she go to camp? Later in the summer, she was at a grad event and this guy was there, the teacher, and got in a conversation. He told, she told him about day camps, what was happening, how fun it was. And he said, I wonder, would there be space for my daughter? He sends his, decides to send his daughter to day camp. That daughter got on the bus in Nanaimo, the, the meeting place, made available to come. And guess who his daughter sat beside? Well, his student, this girl who he called silly to come to Camp Quantos. He went back and forth on the bus. And just, just two days ago, I heard that the counselor is still in communication with that man's daughter. She took a Bible home and she's exploring Christianity. So this is what happened. God still was at work, but in a different way. He was at work, but in a different way. I'm very thankful for what he did. <clears throat> wow, that's a, lot of, that's a lot of people deciding to do exactly what you're talking about in your theme, to light it up in so many different ways. So many of your partnering uh, families and churches choosing to do that, and so many of your dedicated staff and volunteers doing that. Scott, we haven't any more time. We'll look forward to the next visit. Uh, we'll get more of your uh, staff, family involved next time. But we want to thank you for this time. Thanks, and uh, we will uh, continue to do our best to let people know the, the updates as they play out for the balance of 2020 and into 2021 and beyond. So thank you. Awesome. Thank you, Dan. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I hope you've been encouraged as you've listened to this story of God's faithfulness in providing and leading and making a way for Camp Quanos during this pandemic season. Please continue to pray for Scott and the rest of the camp leadership as they keep navigating through the uncertainty and stay up to date on what they're doing and how your church might be able to partner with them. 
We'll put a link to all their communication channels in the show notes so you can stay connected. And as always, our team here at the Fellowship Pacific Ministry Center is here to support you in your ministry. To find out more about us and the resources available to you, visit our website at www.fedpacific.ca.